Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, this past week, Jason had the honor of preaching, and he is in part four, if I've recounted right. That's right. Part four of a series. Uh, Going back to our theme at the beginning of the year, I am his and he is mine, and we're looking at it through Peter's life, and these last few weeks we're walking through the book of First Peter, looking at it through the pen of Peter, and uh, it's a great sermon Sunday that really focused on chapter 3 of First Peter, and it emphasized all through this section here about honor, and we're going to kind of talk quite a bit about honor today. We we hear that word used a lot. We hear uh, in school there's the honor roll. In the military, there's the honorable discharge. Um, in the court system, we refer to the judge as your honor. Uh, there's a sense of patriotism or honor when it comes to the flag. You know, the flag well, is, is, is raised, we stand at attention, the national anthem's played, we put our hand on our heart. And so Peter is using this concept of honor in, in different applications here. And so uh, let's first of all kind of walk through the lesson just one more time, Jason, and then then let's spend some time in talking about what we mean by honor here. All right. So I was a little challenging on Sunday morning because we were jumping right back into the middle of a context, really, as best I can tell, probably began right around chapter 2, verse 10, where Peter of course, by inspiration of the Spirit, says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And based on that, he has an urging. He reminds us that we are sojourners and exiles, and he begins talking about the way we are to live in various aspects of life. And so he talked about all of us, our choices of personal purity. He talked about being subject to civil institutions, government. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday evening. At the end of chapter two, he addressed servants and masters. And then the the key that reminds us that we're still in the middle of a context is the first word in first Peter three, verse one, likewise, wives, Likewise, verse 7, husbands. Finally, he says in verse 8, all of you. And he is calling us, no matter who we are, what spheres of influence or stations of life we have, this is what it's going to look like to lead a life as the people of God. And as you brought up, it, it sure does seem to me like he uses the word honor over and over and over again. And so he he gives us a variety of examples of that. And we ended the sermon where First Peter 3 ends by, he just over and over again at the end of a thought seems to bring us back to Jesus. And the way he does it in chapter 3 is Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What Jesus did was to bring anybody to God, 
And the thread that I love all over, whether he's talking about servants and masters, wives and husbands, who knows if we will follow these instructions who we might also have a part in bringing to God. Absolutely. And so, so you know, great lesson. It's on our website. Really encourage you to grab that. And if you haven't, go back and re-listen to it. Uh, we live in a culture where honor is not talked about. We live in a time where it just seems like uh, anyone in authority is put down and questioned, and that uh, has a trickle-down effect to how we even affect our relationship with God. And when I think about a passage in the book of Romans in chapter 20, or, or chapter 1, verse 20, where the apostle was talking about the uh, Gentile people of that time, and he says in verse 20 of chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, they, so they are without excuse. For, they, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There in verse 21, it says they did not honor him as God. So let's talk about that. What, yeah. What's he driving at there? Well, I, what helps me as I think of that passage is that little word, as, right? Okay, so they did not honor him as God. What What is implied by that? Well, God is their creator. God is their sustainer. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the one in ultimate authority. Even today, God is the one to whom they are accountable. God is going to be their judge. And so it's not simply they didn't honor him. It's they did not recognize his true nature and allow his nature to shape their behavior. It's like God is a giant boulder in the midst of a mountain stream, and that water, as it flows downhill, flows around that boulder, right? That is what it's going to mean to recognize God as God. I I yield to him. I go around him. I build on him. That's why I, I believe he describes failing to honor this being as God as the height of foolishness, because either I will flow around and conform to and build my life on God, or to borrow from a different context, really earlier in, in First Peter, I will stumble over this rock to my own destruction. And so honor is just recognizing who someone is and acting accordingly. Absolutely. And so, so from the Roman passage to, to honor God, you respect, you understand that he's a supreme being. He is the authority. He is the most holy. And so you conduct yourself that way in, in view of who he is. Now back to our, our first Peter three, where you were, I want to grab verse seven as, as he begins talking about marriage. He begins talking about the wives and then verse seven, he flips to the husband mm-hmm. and there are three statements there. I want to, I want to pull out verse seven to talk about. Again, this is building around this concept that we show honor in marriage. And I think there'd be a lot less fussing and a lot less divorcing if 
this was done back and forth, and we'll we'll talk about that here in just a second. But verse seven of chapter three of First Peter, you husbands in the same way. There's that phrase, or likewise. That's how the chapter began in New American Standard. In the same way, verse seven, you husbands in the same way, and that carries all the way back up to chapter two, verse eighteen right. about those servants. And the servants were to do their job whether the masters were nice or not. If the masters were mean, you still do your job. If the masters were cruel, you still do your job. You don't, you're not following their, their, they are. You're not responding. So if they're nice, I'm nice. If they're not, I'm not. No, I'm going to be good no matter what, period. In the same way, the chapter begins, you wise. Verse 7, you husbands in the same way. And so God has an expectation for us in marriage, and we are to do that, period. doesn't matter how my mate responds. doesn't matter how my mate treats me. I am to do what God wants me to do. So verse 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Other translations say the weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor, there's our word, as a fellow heir of grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. First of all, he, he begins by talking about live with your wives in an understanding way. I remember years ago having a Bible study with a young married guy, and his marriage is kind of rocky, and we got to this verse, and he says, Roger, the only thing I understand about my wife is I don't understand her. <laughs> so... He's saying, live with her in an understanding way. What does that mean? Yeah, well, as we try and put ourselves back 2,000 years ago, um, you probably don't need me to tell you. You've probably either read enough books or seen enough TV shows or enough movies to know that women then did not exist even in the same universe of rights that they do today, at least in this part of the world. And we're thankful for the rights that women as human beings, as full citizens have. But there are bountiful Jewish and Gentile writings that will describe women on the level of, well, kind of like a horse or a donkey that I have that performs a function on my farm or a, a piece of property. Uh, we've talked in other contexts about how they were not viewed as uh, valid legal witnesses of great events, which, of course, is one of the uh, astonishing things about uh, Jesus's resurrection from the dead and the very first witnesses there. And so when we put ourselves back in that frame of mind, and then we hear the Spirit of God calling husbands to live with wives in an understanding way. Doesn't that call husbands to care about their wives? I care about how she feels. I care about what she is thinking. I care about her opinion. I care about her wants and what she would like to see happen in the future. It is taking her into account as an image bearer of God and as a third of this covenant that I am a part of with her and God in the covenant of marriage. And so I, I'd say it begins with, okay, I care about her as a human being. What would you add to that? Well, and I'd also add, and I think this is where sometimes we, we husbands stumble, she's not like us, and yes. she doesn't think like us. 
and her needs are not the same as ours. And 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 you, you, there's just layers of things you can do to illustrate that. We we had some people coming over a while back, and and so I cleaned up one of the rooms for her. The next thing I know, she's in the room cleaning. I said <laughs> I said I already cleaned it, and she said I understand. <laughs> and so the way I clean it is not the way she would clean it. Yes. Okay, and, and you understand those things. You you understand that uh, you know you can get by fine just you know driving in the car and having silence. But she wants to talk. You have to understand those things. She is not like you, man. And so as a result, you're, you're going to try to understand her needs, her emotions, her spirit. All those things, I think, are kind of kind of going into that. And when we treat her like a good old buddy, uh, it's not going to go well because she's not a good old buddy. Right. And so so I think that's that's some of the things we have to bring out. Now, right after this... As he talks about the understanding way, he says, as with someone weaker or the weaker vessel. Right. And that that has bothered some people. I, I do know some ladies that could beat their husbands up. <laughs> so, you know, this is not about physical strength. Right. You know, how many how many pounds in the gym can you lift? I mean, that's that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, what, what would you add to that? What, what's he driving at here? Yeah, I, I don't think he's describing her as physically weaker. I would argue he's not even describing her as morally or spiritually weaker. I would compare this to, you know, we're on the doorstep of Thanksgiving. And uh, in our house, we have all different kinds of drinking vessels, right? I Usually, if it's completely up to me, I'll just grab something Tupperware. <laughs> you know, it's durable. If I drop it, no big worries, right? It is comfortable. Uh, I, I don't have to worry about how it gets washed or dried. You, you get the idea. But in a lot of households, right around this time of year, there are precious, beautiful, but fragile glassware things that get pulled out. And as I understand it, that is the nature of this word. He is not describing her as weaker in physicality or morality or spirituality. I I would say just like you, not only do I know uh, some women who are stronger physically than their husbands, I know plenty of women who are stronger spiritually than their husbands, right? But what this is describing is I'm going to honor her the way I would honor um, a, a precious glass vase or a, a you know a, a, a fluted vase or, or something like this where it's not that okay if I handle it the wrong way it's going to forever break as much as this deserves care this deserves my attention this this deserves uh, my my willingness to go above and beyond to care for it and so I, I think if we look at this as a slight on women what we're really missing is the point he's talking to husbands about how they even think of the way that they relate to their precious priceless wives absolutely so he's talking about how, how he treats her 
and that comes from how he views her. Yeah. I, I've moved way too many times in my life, and <laughs> and there are times when you know you, you you just throw in a plastic chair, maybe in the back of the U-Haul or something, or the back of the truck, because it's it's just a plastic chair. It doesn't really matter that much. But then you have this something that's very valuable. And you wrap that in bubble wrap, and you put it in a box full of all those little popcorn things, and you put it on the top of all the boxes yes. because it is valuable. It's precious. It's fragile. That's how he treats her. Yeah. So once again, it, this is a mindset to understand that this is someone who is valuable. I need to treat her. Her feelings matter. Uh, it, something is, is wrong when we see people insulting each other in the public, yeah. let alone at home. You, you don't insult somebody. That's, that's mean and cruel. And so, so this is, again, driving at how honor is shown within the marriage. And so then the third statement that, that I want to pull out of this verse, show her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, what, what comes to your mind yeah. there? Again, this is revolutionary and easy for us to read right over. But in the ancient world, when anyone would think of an heir, they would think purely in terms of the son, right? The male heir. And again, women were viewed much more on the level of commodities or property or or, or something like that. And so Peter does it. The apostle Paul does it. I'm thinking of the end of Galatians chapter three, for example, to say she is an heir of life right along with you, an heir of the grace of of life. In no way, shape, or form is she a second class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we have different roles, of course, just like we do in marriage, in the family, in society. We have different things that God is calling us to do. But when it comes to grace, there is not one amount of grace for men and another amount of grace for women, or one amount of grace for Jew and a different for Gentile. No, it is grace. Anybody can get in on that, and he leverages that truth to tell husbands, you need to treat her as an heir of God. When you mistreat her, you are mistreating a daughter of God. That is a serious thing, and and I love how he even attaches after that, that if I don't treasure her and honor her in this way, a daughter of God, it has the ability to hinder my prayers to her father. Absolutely. So, so you can't be wrong with someone else and right with God. If you're wrong with someone else, you're going to be wrong with God because those those two go together. And, and I like how Peter puts the word fellow heir. It's not just that she's an heir, she's an equal. Right. And so, you know, again, we, we need to see that. And that, that kind of comes out. So this is how we show honor. Uh, he's driving here, and as we've been focusing on the husband, but the husband needs to do that. And it's by the words he says. It's by the way he treats her. It's why, the way he thinks about her. And all of that illustrated through this concept of being an heir of God. Now, while we're in First Peter 3, and you, you mentioned it, and we need to come back and talk about this, the subject of baptism comes up, verse 21. Yes. And that is a huge 
concept in the religious community. Some are for it. Some are against it. Some say you need to. Some say you don't. Uh, the verse is verse 21, corresponding to that. Baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about this, uh what does baptism have to do with all this? Yeah, yeah. So this doesn't spring out of a vacuum. He has been using this language uh, throughout the letter. Uh, that's one of the powerful things about meticulously walking through a letter. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he talks about how God, our Father, can cause us to be born again. Well, that absolutely ought to make us think of John chapter 3, right, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus and says, unless you are born again, born of water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so that connects to this idea of baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he talks about having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. You have been, he says it again in verse 23, born again. We just heard about a, a woman, for example, in First Peter chapter 3, being an heir of God, a, a fellow heir with her husband, who is a Christian of the grace of life. Well, perhaps that makes us think of Galatians chapter 3, right? Where as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are an heir according to promise. He's been using this language all over the place. And now in 1 Peter chapter 3, he makes it very explicit the way that he did in Acts chapter 2 when he preached that first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. Baptism, and of course he ties it to Noah and his family being safely delivered through water. If time had allowed on Sunday, we well, we could spend another entire Sunday talking about that. But he highlights that baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Well, what sort of salvation is he talking about? He's, he's not talking about our outer bodies, he makes it clear. I'm not talking about washing dirt off of your body, but this is the means of having a good conscience. Uh, earlier in First Peter 3, he had mentioned a good conscience. Well, what should I do if my conscience isn't good? I I'm feeling guilty. This is the way I can purify my soul. This is the way. What I'm called to do after repentance in Acts 2.38 is to be baptized. And it is particularly powerful how he, in 1 Peter 3.21, says, as I do that, I am making an appeal to God. I'm not earning anything. I don't deserve anything on the other side of this. I am appealing to God. Would you wash me clean in ways that only you can? In, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, it says that they were washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, what would you say if, you know, if I was really being a a stick in the mud here, and I can do that some days. <laughs> but when it says baptism now saves you, and somebody was the counter, I thought Jesus saves me. Yeah. 
it is not either or, it is yes, yes. <laughs> right? It is baptism, for instance, in Jesus' name. It is baptism being washed in his blood. I, I cannot be saved without his blood washing those spiritual garments clean, right? It is all based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul in Romans 6 connects it to just as Jesus died and was buried, you are putting to death the old man of sin. You're burying that with him in baptism. And just as he was raised, you're being raised to walk in newness of life. So if there was no Jesus, there's no reason for a baptism. There, there's no purpose of a baptism. So it's, it's not, uh, okay, Jesus saves me and someone else says, no baptism saves me. It's it's how I get to Jesus. Right. It's how I get to forgiveness. It's it's the bridge. Jesus is who saves us, but baptism is that bridge you must cross to find the Lord, and that that is essential as we think about that. Great lesson and great thoughts about the concept of honor. And as as you go back and listen to that sermon, it will it will allow your mind to take you to other places about honor and makes you look in your life and say, you know, maybe I have not been showing honor that like I should and and it will help you. And and we encourage you to go back and listen and grow from these things as we look at what the Bible teaches. Well this is Wednesday. And Jason, what are you doing in your class? In our building blocks track of studies, we're in part two of a little three-part series where we're exploring what do these bad words in the Bible mean? And by bad, uh, last Wednesday, we just looked at what does sin mean? Tonight, Lord willing, we will look at the word transgression. What does God mean when he uses that word? What about you in the auditorium? We're, We're continuing our series on the profiles of serving. And tonight we're going to talk about David's mighty men. And we're going to be looking at the choice of servants. And again, some great aspects on that line. Uh, This Sunday morning, Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching and we're heading to Thanksgiving. So we're going to talk about the, the power of a thankful heart and what a thankful heart ought to do for us and just a characteristic of those things. And for you, Jason, Sunday evening, very predictable. <laughs> I'm going to go to First Peter chapter 4. I'm just walking through this letter, connecting it. it. It's fascinating to me how in every chapter we can see, okay, I am his, he is mine. We'll talk about that through the lens of First Peter chapter 4. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We'd love to see you tonight. 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us.